Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! So I want to talk about the question of would you be my neighbor, right? And um, I... I think we have to start by establishing and why at the beginning we talked about self and that being so important is I think we have to really establish a triangle of how we talk about self, God, and others. So um, my high school and middle schoolers can tell you that whenever I talk about those three things, I always start with this equilateral triangle vision, which I'm hoping will be behind us shortly. And so what I, I mean by that is that I think that you have to see a triangle and there needs to be equal distance between God, self, and others in order order to move towards what we would call health, right? Because in all of our lives, our goals, I think, have to do with health and with balance, right? And when we see these kind of moving off of one another, I think what happens is we get told, right, the notion of um, their others are more important than you, if you love God really well, you're going to do everything you can for others, right? And so that equilateral triangle then is no longer equilateral. Does that make sense? Or if maybe other times someone's told you the most important thing in your world and your job is you. What you need to do is go up that ladder and keep moving up. And so you, self, becomes more important than anything else, right? And so you then again get thrown off in your triangle, And so what we're looking for, I think, in our day-to-day life is how can we have health? How can we have balance? Right? And I think in different seasons and different people, we define that different ways. So what maybe is being healthy for you and self, God, and others may look different than it is for another person. And so I think that's what makes it so complex. Because when we're asking the question of how are you loving your neighbor, what does that mean? That means something different to each of us. Right, but as we move and we go through this, this invitation to the presence of others, I can't talk about others if I'm not talking about myself and a relationship to God. I'm talking about all three, almost this Trinitarian concept that's moving and flowing. It's like moving and dancing around you, and it's happening all the time. And so our goal is to be aware and tuned into all three at once, if that makes sense. A couple plane flights ago, I was watching the movie with Mr. Rogers, his documentary, right, with the would you be my neighbor, and he's like, sweet man, sweet Presbyterian pastor, which um, I have Presbyterian background, so my parents are very thrilled to tell you that he's a Presbyterian pastor as well, so, uh, and so Mr. Rogers, um, there's this amazing scene, and it's what, honestly, I don't remember much else of the documentary, but this really stuck with me, and so it describes how he asks Officer Clemens, which maybe you remember Officer Clemens, as being brought onto the show shortly after the Martin Luther King shooting. And so it's a black man that's brought onto the show very intentionally in the police officer role so that he can be seen as a police officer, that his color of his skin does not matter for him to be a police officer or not. And it's interesting when you hear Officer Clemens' background that he had been raised in an environment where he never knew that was possible. So for him, it's like this experience where he's being empowered in just his role on a TV show. And so what happens is that um, at this time, there are Jim Crow laws that were saying that um, you could not have a black and white person in a pool at the same time. That You couldn't be sharing water, essentially. And so Mr. Rogers, in 1969, decides that he's going to invite Officer Clemens into the pool with him. They would take off their shoes, and there's this scene where they're sitting in this little kiddie pool, and they're going to be sharing water, essentially, and splashing the water around. And I don't know if you've seen this scene, but it's a little weird. 
to be honest. Like, like when Mr. Rogers starts taking off his shoes, you're like, oh gosh, this got weird. Like, if you have a weird foot fetish, like this is not the scene for you, okay? So, and they're there and they're sitting together. But what I think is amazing and beautiful about this scene, right, is that this, there's this ultimate, like, who's my neighbor, right? This is who Mr. Rogers has defined as his neighbor in this moment in time. And he's taking his sphere of influence and he's saying, you matter, you're seen. Let me use my power and flip it upside down and empower you instead. Right? It's this huge scene and it's seen all over by a bunch of kids, right? Because who makes change? Right? Kids make changes, right? Sorry, adults. But kids are the ones that make change in our generations. So they show kids so that they think that they can get into a pool with anyone. It's like an amazing statement that Mr. Rogers is making all of a sudden. So I'm wondering, how do we be the Mr. Rogers? Right? How do we make change? How do we empower? How do we release our own power and keep moving in this equilateral triangle so that we're constantly able to see God, self, and others? Right, so then you move to the story of the Good Samaritan, right, which many of us have heard this story before. We know this story. Right? You can predict what I'm going to tell you, right? Like the Samaritans and those that are Jewish, they don't get along. And so this is a huge cultural statement right, that all of a sudden that the Samaritan will look at the, this Jewish man and then would help. And not just help, but do anything that he could to make sure that he's like, moving forward successfully. Right? We know that part of the story. And that's why I don't, I don't actually want to sit there very long. What I want more interesting enough is to say what I think is an important part of that story is that anyone could have moved along that path, right? But the Samaritan is the one that sees the man and says, like, yes. And I think what Jesus wants us to hear is that it's not about if you're the Samaritan or if you're the person that's Jewish. It's not about categories. Does that make sense? It's outside of categories. It's much farther above that. It's not about the thing that you are or you are not passionate about, right? What's important about this story is that people are seen, right? And it transcends category. It goes above that and it says, I see you. I'll be there with you, right? This last weekend, I, um, I had the privilege of helping some of our friends move. And they're the kind of friends that you would expect me to help. Right? Because I've been in small group with this person for I don't know how many years, like five years, I'm, I'm not even sure, a long time. I worked with this guy, right? their kids are here downstairs all the time, I'm, I love them, like, we, I've dedicated them, like, they're the family that makes sense that I would help. Does that make sense? Like, of course you would show up, this is your community, you should show up for these people. Right? But the important thing, I think the story of the Good Samaritan says, what about the people that they don't expect you to show up for? Right? We've created categories of, like, this person would help me move, and so I need to show up to help them move. Right? But the Good Samaritan is going above that and is saying it's not about your categories. Right? It's not about that. It's the person that doesn't expect. Who expects or doesn't expect? When did we create lines and things in the stand that say, this is my community, this isn't, that makes us say, I'll see you, but I won't see this other person? Right? Yesterday, I was walking into New Seasons because I need to go to the bathroom, and that's a nice bathroom, and I was on Woodstock, <laughs> and um, we walked past this little girl and this woman, and their sign, to be honest, it wasn't super legible, and I have kind of felt a little haunted since that moment, because I felt strongly like I should stop, like I felt strongly like I can do something here, 
Like, I can buy this little girl food. I could talk to this mom who doesn't look any older than me and has a fairly old kid, right? I could do something. I could sit with them. I don't owe them anything, but I could do something. I'm preaching on this tomorrow. Like, I can do something here. And I didn't, right? I I just kept walking because I really needed to go to the bathroom. And I didn't know if they really wanted to talk to me. And I convinced myself, essentially, that I wasn't the right person. And someone else would be. I mean, I'm a pastor. Like, this is what I'm supposed to be good at at the end of the day. And, like, I, I convinced myself, wrong category, right? I've done my job for the day. I've helped someone move. Just go focus on something else. Move on. Right? But when did we start deciding when we were or when we weren't going to love your neighbor as yourself? When did we start defining who those people are in our life? When did we start saying, check, we did it for the day? Or maybe not. And I just want to say that with the caveat as well of knowing, right, that some of us, right, we're tired. And we're like, I didn't have the time or the space to do that today. And I maybe would have snapped at this woman. I wouldn't have been a good presence. I'm not trying to guilt or shame you into doing things for other people. But some of us are really good at this naturally, and we do it all the time. And others of us need, like, the nudge and the push, right, to be like, you're worth it. Go talk to that person. They would like to hear from you today. So I think there's two things. Number one, how do you love your neighbor as yourself in real time? How do we do it in 2019? I read those categories earlier, if you're with us, for the purpose of saying there are categories there that I've chosen to be an influencer in, and there are categories I've said, there are other really great people there. And I don't think that's the point of loving your neighbor as yourself. I want to move away from the categories to say the statement is love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Love your neighbor. Go see your neighbor. You have to be present with them to be there. Right? And the second thing I think we have to look at this is saying, like, when we're loving people and when we're invited to the presence of others, I think there's a really strong tool of empathy that we need to use when we walk into those spaces. Right? So I think Brene Brown says it best. Maybe you've watched the video with the bear, and there's a ladder. We're going to watch it here in a second, even if you have seen it before, Right? But I think Brene does this so well of how do we climb down our ladder and see people, right? How do I acknowledge that person at New Seasons yesterday, not just walk past them, right? So we're going to go ahead and watch this video, and then we'll go from there. So what is empathy, and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, I'm down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? (laughs) Um...
Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. So I think if we had one tool that we could walk away from in terms of our invitation to presence of others, I think it would be empathy. Right? If we were capable of loving our neighbor and walking around with those tools of taking perspective of another person, staying out of judgment, recognizing emotion out of another person, and then communication, I think what that does is it calls us to a sacred space. Right? It calls us into that space of I see you, I'm with you. Right? It doesn't bring solutions. It doesn't solve problems. Right? But I think actually that sacred space is a key piece of who Jesus is. Right? And I think it's a key part of that triangle as we keep balance and health. I think it's a perfect example of what we are doing from our day to day to be able to continue that triangle and keep it moving and keep it focusing. Right? I know that I've been someone who said the at least statement more times than I want to count. Right? When it's something inside of me actually was really hurting. Right? Or something was going on behind the scenes that I wasn't talking about or I wasn't confronting myself. And all of a sudden, I'm in a conversation with someone else. And what I could do is enter with that person in their pain. But instead, I haven't dealt with my own pain and my own hurt. And I bring it all and muddy the situation together. Right? We've all messed up and done that, I think, at some point. Where we're like, oh, darn. Didn't mean to get there. And here we are. So I think a part of inviting into the presence of others is doing the work of yourself so that you're capable of being in the place of with others. Um, I don't know if you have uh, heard the story about Cantor from the Center for the Blazers. Uh, this is from a few weeks back now. Um, but Cantor, right, we know that he is a basketball player and he's from Turkey, Right? And so what I love about the story of Cantor is that he had started to talk about the Turkish president. Right? And when he was talking about the Turkish president, you may know that then all of a sudden there were some really large claims on him that he was a terrorist and um, other pieces. So the Turkey government starts to proactively block him, basically, from being able to go anywhere. So in 2017, he was stranded in Romania for a period of time when the um, Turkish embassy basically revoked his passport. And so that moved Cantor to being really fearful of traveling in general, 
right? And so what happened was that uh, Cantor continued to speak out and say, I'm going to use my platform and my space as an NBA basketball player to tell you that the president of Turkey is an abusive man. Like, he calls him the Hitler of our century, basically. And so I think things happen with Cantor's dad being put in jail. There's been multiple layers of really um, clear things of the Turkish government with Cantor. But basically what happens is that he can't travel. And so you get to where Cantor is going to be playing against the Toronto Raptors, and he can't travel for that game. Fast forward to the NBA quarterfinals or whatever we're at. And uh, Ron, um, Senator Ron Wyden, U.S. Senator, uh, starts to write to the Prime Minister of Canada saying, will you make sure that if we get to this part of the finals, if we are playing the Raptors, will you make sure that he can have safe passage? Basically, will you make sure that he can travel? Will you help protect him? Will you make sure that this man is safe? Because at this point, Cantor is going nowhere um, except for, like, the bathroom alone. Like, he's determined that he's pretty terrified that he's going to be hurt in some way as he's being followed and whatnot. And what I love about that story, right, we know that Ron Wyden, in some ways, right, we know that he's, um, it benefits him, right, if Cantor could have gone to the finals. The Blazers would have gotten there. It would have benefited them to have Cantor there, right? It's our player. It would have been great to have him there. But more so, what I love about this story is that it's a person in power and influence, similar to Mr. Rogers, that's saying what's happening isn't right. right? I think that there's a tool of empathy that is being used in order to get to a space of saying, I'm going to go say something. I'm going to try to make a difference. I'm going to take a step in a direction that says, while this has worked so far, it no longer will. So my, I just want to leave us, what, what stops us from seeing others? What stops us from being able to be people that stand up and make a difference? What stops us from seeing our neighbors? What categories have we created? What lies have we convinced ourselves that we aren't the right one? What places have we not qualified ourselves to be enough so that we can see someone else?